0: Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. Ah, we're awake. It's going to be a good morning already. Uh, I, I also want to just thank you all. We There were so many things that were done. I mean, so many of you took time out of your weekend, and to do that is, is a sacrifice when you're taking time away from family and from friends and from relaxing. I mean, I know I was here for seven plus hours, but so much got done. So grateful for all of you. Um, I just want to Obviously, it's a fun morning because, you know, anytime someone new starts, we're excited about that because God's doing something. And I just was thinking about it this morning. And sometimes when you pray, God puts a face to that prayer. You never know as you're praying for God to move and to do things that those are connected to people. And we said, God, you know, as I, as I talked with Mark and I said, Mark, you know, is this something that you'd want to pursue? And he said, no, I, I don't want to pursue this. I want to volunteer. I'm like, okay, so it's not going to be you. God, who are you going to bring? What's it going to look like? What's, what's going to happen here? And as we've all, we were all praying and seeking God out, God answered that prayer and his His name is David, and he has a face, and he's a guy who loves Jesus. And it's so neat to watch God answer prayers in that way, in a very unique way. So I'm just excited. Uh, We've been praying for so many things here, and God just keeps answering prayers because he's a faithful and great God. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, spoiler has been out there. We are in Psalm 139. That is the psalm that we're going to be in today. Um, It's one of those psalms that, as I was reading it, I kept kind of trying to put myself in the place of David. And as I was thinking about David, this guy that the Bible would say was a man after God's own heart, uh, as they describe David, he says, you know, God looks on the inside, not the outside appearance of who that person is. And he judges the hearts, not what we see around us. This guy, David, starts uh, looking at who God is. Now, this is a safe place, right? I can be honest here? Okay, good. I'm going to be honest anyway, so there are things about God that are really hard to understand. Yeah? Like, it's kind of crazy. You read the Bible, like, I don't get that. That's a hard thing to understand about who God is and how he does that. I remember going through some of my classes and um, talking with different teachers, and I remember one of them said one time, if you could really know everything about God, would you want to worship that guy? And I'm like, wait, what are you you talking about? He's like, if you could explain every part about God, wouldn't it just be kind of figuring out the equation? Would he really be that great? Would he be that amazing? Would he be that wonderful? And as I thought about that, I'm like, wow, that that would be weird. It's kind of like... If you've ever been to a really good magic show, not not the one you get for your kids, but like a really good magic show, and you see these crazy things that they do, and you're like, that's amazing. I don't know how that's done. That's unreal. And then you watch the behind the scenes where they go, and this is how we did it. All we did is just put a mask on this guy and get him on stage. You're like, oh. It loses its luster. It loses its uh, ability to understand what it is. Well, thankfully, here's the thing. We can't explain everything about God. He's so huge and so big and so wonderful that we could never comprehend it if given all eternity. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. What he's saying is this. We've been given what we need to know about God. We haven't been told everything about God. We'll never have that ability even with all of eternity. Think about this. We will be with God for eternity. For those that call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, we will be with him for eternity and get to learn about him for forever. That's how big he is. That's how great he is. That's how massive our God is that we worship. Now, maybe you've read some stuff. Maybe you've thought about God and maybe you've struggled with understanding this God that we talk about every week, week in and week out. And maybe at times that's caused you to maybe doubt God. Maybe that's caused you to think poorly about God. Maybe that's caused you to be afraid of God as you learn who this God is. And what I want us to do is I want to to look a little bit into this scripture today. Because I think what we're seeing is we're seeing some of that as David is singing this psalm to God. You see there's an arc to where he goes. And I think that he's feeling some of those tensions of understanding more of who this God is and not knowing how to comprehend that. Not knowing what to do with that. And it doesn't land him ultimately in a place of fear and rejection of God, but it lands him in a place of comfort of God. And that comfort is to be transferred to us that we would take comfort as we know more of who this God is. So there's three things we're going to look at today. David's mentioned a couple of them, but it's the uncommunicable attributes of God. Uh, There are things that we can't communicate, we can't understand about God. And so there's three of them that we're going to talk about today. The... uh, Uh, omniscience of God, that that God knows all things at all times, the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere, and the omnipotence of God, that God has and is all-powerful. Those are the things that we're going to see in this psalm today as we work through it. So I'm going to read all of Psalm 139 in its entirety so we can get the full picture of it. You can read along in your Bible if you brought one. You can follow on the screen. Uh, If you don't have a Bible and you need one, we have brand new Bibles underneath, somewhere in the chairs. You can grab that, take that. That's a free gift for you. We'd love for you to have it and just read more about who God is. Here we go. Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my laying down. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, you are so big and so huge and so amazing. Your love for us has no bounds. As we just scratch the surface of who you are, I ask that you would give us some kind of insight to see the weight though, there isn't enough weight in the world to put weight to who you are and what you've done. I ask that you would let us see you for who you are. I ask that we would take comfort in being known by you, that you would continue to search our hearts. Lord, dependent upon where people are today, they're going to need to hear something from you. Lord, I ask that you would provide that and not me. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would work amongst your people. If there's things in here that I should not be saying that are not going to be helpful, Lord, just strike them from everything that I have. I ask that you would speak through me, that you would bless me with your word as well. pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So as David starts this particular psalm, he actually closes it out the same way that it starts. But they're going to have two very different ways of understanding what's going on. The idea of being searched. Now as I thought about this idea of being searched, I realized really quickly that there's, there's two ways that we can look at that. There's a, a negative light in being searched and there's a positive light. A negative uh, light might stem from what we've created In the Western world, in the Western culture, right? That we are an independent group of people, that we can be autonomous humans, that we can go where we want to do and say what we want to say without too much fear of rejection, that we get to vote who's into power, that we get to vote in certain laws, that I can go where I want, when I want, how I want. So if we live in this culture and have that mindset among us, right off the bat, this feels weird, doesn't it? You search me? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, I'm not into searching. Like, I, I'm not a big fan of that. You might be thinking like, when a cop pulls yours, like, hey, I need to search your car. Like, well, I don't really want you in my car. He's like, all right, we're gonna do a search of your body. I certainly don't want that going on. Or maybe you think of a, a policeman that comes in with a warrant and says, I'm gonna go through all your stuff in your house. Like, um, no, thank you. Uh, not a big fan of that. I, I really don't want that in my life right now. But what we see is that... <clears throat> God is this God who searches us, and as you think about that, you might recoil a little bit like, I, I, don't, I don't want to be searched. See, we work really, really hard to show people only what we want them to see about us, don't we? See, we, we don't want people to know what's going on in our lives, so I'm going to take a picture this way, and I'm going to put that on Instagram, and I'm going to say this, and like, look at, we're a perfect family every year, and we're on the beach, and about our shoes on with our, you know, our button-down shirts, oh, wait, there's a seagull, Photoshop him out, he should not be in this. Like, we do that, right? We just don't want people to know who we are, and so I went out to lunch with uh, David and Justin this week, and they're like, they were talking about this thing they were doing, uh, this app, and... It, I call it a new app because I don't know any apps. So it might be old, but it's this new app called Be Real. And, and the Be Real app is pretty interesting. So what it does is you're going to get one prompt throughout the day, and it's going to say, hey, you need to post whatever you're doing right now. And you get two minutes. You get two minutes to take a picture forward at your face and put a post. So if you're in your bed, in your pajamas, eating mac and cheese, watching some Bachelorette movie show that you got, oh, no, and that, that's it. And if you change it, people know, they call you out. I didn't realize this. And so my son was showing me all about it. I'm like, you're so much smarter than me. <clears throat> but it's funny because it won't let you be perfect. You can try real hard, but two minutes is a hard time to get perfect, isn't it? Well, why don't we want that? Because we don't want the real us known. Because we're afraid if people see the real us, that they will reject that, that they will dismiss that, and that they, we, we won't be valued. See, we don't want to be searched. As I was talking to some people this week, they're like, I just, I need my privacy. I, I need my stuff to be my stuff. And you keep your stuff, yours. and if I want you to know my stuff, maybe I'll share some of my stuff with you. Well, as David is walking through this and talking about, he's talking about the omniscience of God, meaning that he knows everything at all times. And if you start to think about what that is, it gets real crazy Real quick about an all-knowing God. So he knows what I do and when I do it. He knows all of it. He knows my thoughts, which is terrifying. That you know, God knows exactly what I'm thinking when I think it. I mean, think about this. Would you want a TV on your forehead that would just project your thoughts everywhere you went? We laugh because we're like, oh, please don't invent that. (laughs) I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg is going to make that. (laughs) That will be a thing. But it means that he, he knows what we're going to say before we say it. He knows what we've said. He knows what, like, what we're going to say 10 years from now. That's weird. But here's the thing. God made time and exists outside of time, and he interjects into time whenever he chooses. So because he is, exists outside of time, it means he sees your whole life in one instant, past, present, and future. Could you imagine walking up somewhere like hi, I know everything about you. That'd be nuts. But that's exactly who God is. Everything that you will ever do in your life, God is aware of completely and fully. He has it in perfect context, everything you've ever done. So you know what that means? That God knows you better than you actually know yourself. I sat in that all week. I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. (laughs) I thought I know myself pretty well. I mean, I've got friends that probably know me better than me because they don't see it through the lens that I see it through. Clearly, my wife knows me better than I know myself, and she tells me all the time and lets me know all the areas where I'm not who I should be. (laughs) Bless her heart. I love her. (laughs) But then in verse 5 and 6, David starts to think about this, and he uses this term... You hem me in. Now, that's just a term that I don't think we use a lot nowadays. Maybe we do. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're a seamstress Like, I know how to hem. I'm like, I don't. I don't. But it means to envelop or enclose completely or to be covered. See, as David's pondering this idea that God knows him completely and knows everything all the time, he's like, um, I don't have a good compartment for this. I don't have a space in my mind for this. And then he kind of launches and says... You, this knowledge of you is too wonderful. And you might be thinking, what a, oh, what a positive way to see! Yeah, that's so wonderful. But that's not really what he's saying. It's not a positive thing. It actually has a tinge of a negative idea to it. The idea, the definition of this wonderful is that it's too much for me to bear. Like, I, I can't handle the fact that you are this God that knows every single thing about me um, my mind can't comprehend it. I can't understand it. It's too high for me to even come close to obtaining. And what I think we're seeing here with David is that it's starting to feel constricting or a bit claustrophobic. Now, I'm going to share something about my life so you get to know me, and then you can laugh at me later. But I used to have these nightmares as a young, a young boy, and they weren't like these crazy, scary, nothing graphic. It was just, this is what it was. I would go to the grocery store, and I'd go to the checkout counter. And I would pay the person, the teller, whatever it is, I, I, I paid them. And they would always hand me back a very small ball bearing or BB. Seems weird, because it is. And they would hand this to me, and then as they handed me this very, you know, small thing, it became extremely heavy. To the point where I could barely pick it up and I couldn't get my hands around it. And I remember feeling like, why can't I lift this thing up? It's a BB, it's a ball bearing, I can't lift it up. I don't understand why this thing isn't acting the way it's supposed to, the way that I understand it. And what that would do is even thinking about it now, like there are these this rush of anxiety, this rush of fear, and it's because this. I could not figure out what was going on and it terrified me that there was something that I didn't understand and it was affecting me in a way that I didn't think it should affect me. And as David is thinking about God, I believe that he's in this spot of feeling the same thing, that there is this God. To be in the presence of this kind of God is terrifying. It is scary to know that there is someone that knows everything about me because we can't explain God. The same reason I couldn't explain why a tiny BB that should weigh not even an ounce was weighing hundreds of pounds that I couldn't hold. And so what does he say? He then shifts and goes, where could I even go to get away from your presence? I think what he's talking about right here is that, I gotta. how do I get away from this? How do I run from this presence? And the, and the idea of presence is this term uh, that always refers to the face of God. That's what it's talking about, meaning that he is in front of us, he is watching us, he is right there. Now, maybe you remember our Jonah series and you're like, hey, that sounds familiar that Jonah tried to do what? run from the presence of God and what we found is the prophet who was meant to go and take a message to his enemies the the people that he hated was the very God that he couldn't escape whether he was on the sea whether he was on the boat whether he was in the water whether he was under the water whether he was in a fish whether he was to the depths of the point where he was almost dead or dead like we see like what does he say there's nowhere I can go from you There's nowhere that I can get away from you. So the the prophet that tried to escape the presence of God came to the conclusion that there is no place in the world that I can escape this God and his presence. See, this is the attribute of being omnipresent, being fully present everywhere all the time. Now, the way that David writes about this is actually really clever and it's very poetic and it's very neat the way that he actually writes it out. And he says this, he says, if I go to heaven, meaning up, you are there. If I go to Sheol, which is uh, down, the, the land of the dead, the underworld. So if I go down, you're there. If I go on the wings of the morning, what are the wings of the morning? It's the sunrise in the east. And he says, or if I go to the sea, which would be west of Israel. He's saying, I can't get away from you. You're everywhere. You're up, you're down, you're left, you're right. No matter where I go, there you are. And what's going to be interesting is he's talking about trying to get away from the presence of this all-knowing, all-present God. Something changes. And in verse 10 is kind of the key that turns the lock that starts to open the door to understand what's going on he says this in 10 even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me so as he's trying to figure out like what do i do with this amazing all-powerful all-present god like what do i do with that he's saying that there is this instance of being led now maybe uh Maybe I'm the only one of you ever been lost driving someplace, and you pull up to like a gas station place. Like, hey, can I get directions? And the guy's like, hey, "You're gonna go down here to that tree. You're gonna make a right on that tree. When you see a skunk, you're gonna make a left." And you're like, I, I, "I'm going to get more lost. This is not going to work out." So what would be better is someone who has knowledge that you seek him out. But what makes that even better is he would say, "Hey, I'll tell you what. Um, why don't you? I'll hop in the car with you, and I'll go with you, and I'll direct you the entire way there." Someone that is present with knowledge. And David starts to make the connection that there is this all-knowing, all-present God and that he wants to lead him. That he wants to guide him to take us someplace. We use the term all the time that life is like a journey, right? That we're on this journey together and what we're seeing is that God is saying, I want to lead you and guide you on this journey of your life and where you're going. It says that you're hand your right hand shall hold me and I thought about this i mean we just think about it. it's really easy we think about a small child right what does a small small child do or an adult who's scared do when they're scared they hold someone's hand you ever have like a, a child a sibling or someone like they just they're scared they grab a hand why why would they grab a hand Because they are afraid of something that they don't understand, that they don't know, that seems like it could be dangerous, and they reach out to one who is bigger, who is stronger, who can endure the fear that will protect them, that will be present with them, that will guard them in that moment. That's that's what he's saying, that you're going to hold my hand in the unknown of life, in this darkness of where we're going. You will protect me. And what was once overwhelming for David starts to settle into the appropriate appropriate places that he sees God again in an appropriate light. That the appropriate light is that God is God, that God is Father, that God is protector, and that he is like a child that's reaching out to a hand that's guiding him where he needs to go. And then he's going to use the idea of darkness to build out that idea. Because darkness does represent unknown things danger being lost hidden sinful things but what he's going to do is going to proclaim that God is so powerful that God is so big that even the darkness is not dark to him I don't know if God has some really good night vision goggles I don't know what that looks like I don't know how that works but all I know is that it ain't dark to God And I've been in some really dark places, but it ain't dark to God, and God sees it. So what we see is that this idea that the darkness is as of light to him is meaning this, that the hidden things will be exposed by God. That the things that are are scary, the things that would be making me afraid, will be exposed by God, that he will shed his light on the things. When we clean a house and we get into a a little corner, we've got to put some light on it so we can see what's going on there. God's light does that. It exposes and pushes away the things that would be scary. So David moves to the other attribute of God, the omnipotence, the that He is all powerful and can do whatever His will is without limits. And so what he does is he he keeps this idea of darkness moving and he's going to move to probably the section that's most known by people in the church when we think of Psalm 139 and it's what we use for our VBS. It's 13 through 16. I'm going to read it again and I want to just kind of chug in here for a second and and we'll just kind of get into what it's saying. It says, for you formed my inward parts and knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Your, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me as yet there was none of them. Now, We spent a whole week teaching the kids this one little section that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that that you have value, that you have worth. We talked about the idea of sanctity of life. Now, here's what I want to do before I go any further. Can we put politics aside for a second? Can we just, let's just move those off to the side. I don't care how you vote right now. I don't care what policies you vote for right now. I don't care what side of the fence you're on. And we have both represented. I'll just tell you that right now. You're like, and you're like looking around, like, who's, who is? It? It's cool. We make them wear different clothes when they come in so you won't recognize them. We just want to read God's word. And we want to see the heart of God for a few minutes. How, what does God say about who he is and what he does? And that's all I want to look at right now. And my hope would be that it would give us a better understanding of something. So God is talking about his power in this moment. And what is he saying, I create life. David's saying, you create life. You make life. Like, we don't make life. We can't do that. We can't do it on our own. We can't make things come out of thin air and put them together. Look, life. We don't do that. The inner parts, when he says inner parts, he's talking about a soul and a conscience. That's the word that's being used there that we understand. He's saying that who you are as a person, I have made that. I have put that together. What makes Simon, Simon is because God has formed that and made that. The inner parts of who I am. That's what he's talking about. As he moves on, he says, you, uh, my frame. Well, what's he talking about with his frame? He's talking about bones. So what he's saying is, not only do I make who you are, on a spiritual side, on a soul side, I make who you are physically. I create all of it together. That I give you flesh and bones. I give you a life. Then he says, I knew you and unformed substance. What was it? He's talking about an embryo. That's literally how it breaks down in the original language. It's an embryo. That's the best way to describe what that is. He speaks about when life starts. He's he's saying that this is when it starts, and it's got value, that it's in the embryonic stage like that's when that's there and then he shifts to the ending so he talks about the beginning and he talks about the ending and he starts talking about how he says all the days of our lives are numbered by god himself what is he saying god holds life and death in his hand he is in control of it and he has power over it that's power that is powerful He's telling us that life is a special gift that he has given. He has given the beginning he's given the end. People ask, why do Christians make such a big deal about this? Well, let me me just throw this out so maybe if you don't understand, this might give you a better understanding of what he's talking about. Why do Christians make a big deal about abortion and euthanasia? It's this verse. Because God is the author of when it starts and God is the author of when it stops. And if we think that we can step in and be the one in control of life, then we are trying to supersede God's power and authority and take control over that. That is sin and that is rebellion any time in any part of our life when we would do that. This is why we value life at all stages. This is why we don't say, we'll get rid of the baby because it's inconvenient. And this is why we don't don't say, well, get rid of of Joe, because it's inconvenient. I mean, he's in his 90s, so let's just get rid of him. No, because God has a plan for when we will be born and when we will die. And we want to trust and believe that an all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God probably knows a little bit more than we do. This next section can get a little hard. You're like, wasn't the last one hard? Sure. Sure. Yes, it was. This next one, um, a lot of pastors have been known to skip over because it's, it's weird, it's different, it's complicated. Um, but I believe if you understand the gospel, it actually makes a lot of sense. It's this turning point... And, you know, David's like, man, all these thoughts. I'm, I love you. This is great. You're amazing. And then he kind of shifts to this section where he's like, I want you to slay the wicked, those men of blood, hate those that hate you. We're going to loathe people. We're going to have complete hatred. And, and you're like, that's weird. And, and here's, here's why. Um, that's not what it says in the New Testament, is it? That, that's not the message that we get from Christ in the New Testament. He's like, Pray for those that persecute you. You're like, well, wait a minute. Uh, pray, for those that, pray for those that don't know you. They would come to you. Serve them. Turn the other cheek. We see all this stuff that just seems like it's very, it's very different from what David has just said in this moment about what God would do. But what we see is that there's a couple things going on. One, he's saying, I am going to be completely loyal to you, God. I'm completely sold out for you. Whatever you love, I want to love. Whatever you hate, I want to hate. I want to be connected to you in all ways. And I am in allegiance and alignment with you, is what he's saying. He's saying that all sin and rebellion against God must be punished. That God's enemies are his enemies and that God's name should be lifted up, not trampled upon. Now here's the thing. David's right. All rejection of God ultimately will be punished. All rejection of God's ways and what He values will be met with His perfect and ultimate judgment. This is in light of an all-powerful, all-knowing God who is present in all things. And it's funny at times when we hear about this that we think as finite beings that we actually understand what's going on more than God, that we can comprehend more than an all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful God. It, it's arrogant, and we all do it at some point in our life. So the, the question is this, what happens between then, David writing, and now? It's kind of a simple answer that has to be unpacked. The answer is Jesus. That's, that's the difference. See, God was not going to compromise who he is. God is fully just in everything he does. That He's not the kind of judge that would brush sin under the carpet. He's not going to say, eh, hey, it's okay, you probably didn't mean it, don't worry about it. No, we would call that a corrupt, unjust judge, wouldn't we? But what God does, he's like, I'm not going to compromise who I that sin must be punished, sin must be dealt with, that there is this thing that has to be taken care of. And what we see is that he doesn't let it go unpunished, that God actually punishes those that are rebellious. He punishes those that reject him. He punishes those that are malicious and those men of blood, those violent men. He does punish that. He pours out all of his wrath on them, but he does it through his son, Jesus Christ, The very thing that David is saying about what God is going to do to sin, what he hates, which is sin, is the very thing that he actually did that he poured out on Jesus Christ. He says enemies, enemies, enemies. Well, Romans 5.10 tells us about who are the enemies. For if while we... We're enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. See, we are the enemies that David's talking about. All of us are sinful All of us deserve God's wrath. All of us deserve God's punishment. Yet we see that God does this by sending his son to live the life that we couldn't in a perfect way, that he becomes our substitution, that he takes that, puts it on himself, and dies for us. This is the great twist in the gospel. That everything led to the, yep, 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 we should be punished, yep, yep, it should be bad, yep, it's not going to be good, our bad. Twist, Jesus is going to take that for us. And I would say this, any one of us, if you don't know Jesus, you can have that today. If you call on the name of Christ for salvation, he will save you. He will give you new life, that the wrath that you deserve will be poured. It has been poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. He died for that. It's been taken care of. It's done. All you have to do is call him his Lord and Savior. You can do that today. I encourage you, if you're thinking about that, Please, afterwards, talk with me, talk with anyone that's up on the stage. We'd love to talk with you about a relationship with Jesus. But it lands in an interesting place. As David looks at the character and the nature of God, he's, he's moved back to where he started in the beginning, the search me idea. It's no longer overwhelming to be searched by God. It's not like the police version of what we talked about. It doesn't feel intrusive. It doesn't feel like an invasion of privacy. No, it's changed. Let's see what he says. 23 and 24 says this Search me O God and know my heart try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting now it's an invitation it's like i understand that you're going to do this anyway but now i want you i actually i desire you to do this now he, he, let me it's like this so if you were sick you go to a doctor right you put on the gown that makes you feel really uncomfortable And they look at every part of your body like, okay, take off the gun. You're like, "Uh, but I'm not wearing anything. Yeah, I know. We're going to look at everything. They look at everything and they're like, there's a problem. So what do you do? You go to an MRI and then they scan every millimeter of your entire body. That is being searched. That is being fully known in every capacity that there's nothing that you can hide in that moment. We do that because if there was something dangerous that was causing us harm, that was going to cause us death, we want it identified so it could be removed from our life. See, as he's understanding who this God is, this all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God that will deal with the rebellious of heart, he's like, I don't want anything in there that would remove me from the presence of this God that knows me and loves me and chases after me. David wants to be like his God. He wants to reflect him in all that he is. He says, look inside me. Look at my heart. Tell me where I'm lacking. Tell me where I'm not trusting you. Lead me. I trust you. I know that if you know everything, you care about me. That's what he's saying. Take me by the hand. Show me. Show me how to live this life. Because here's the thing. We don't don't want people to know us because we're afraid of being judged and rejected, right? That's what I said early on. So we keep it to ourselves. But Jesus knows every single part of who we are. And instead of rejecting us, he went to the cross and died in our place. And he welcomes us. And he accepts us so we could be in relationship with the God that David's speaking of. So you don't have to be afraid to be fully known, maybe by sinful, broken people, but not by a perfect and holy and just God that's provided a way for salvation. We can take comfort in being known because we are loved and accepted on the other side of being fully known. And this God loves us enough to walk us in those broken, dark secret areas into a place where we can actually show the world who he is as we would transform day by day. And maybe today's a day where you need to just say, God, search me. Show me in my heart. Show me in my life where I'm not believing you, submitting to you, trusting you, following you. And let him speak. All week I've been praying this, and there's some things that God brought to me. I'm like, okay, I just, I got to do some work. I got to repent of some things. Because repentance isn't this guilt-shame thing. Repentance is this freedom thing. Like this freedom in repenting and and knowing that you can put that down at the foot of the cross, that Jesus died for that, and that you're saved. That's the reality of what we have in Jesus Christ and what he's done. That we are new creations, that we can walk with God and be in the presence of God without fear, but in full comfort. There is something comforting about knowing an all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God is with me. And he is with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this moment to sit in who you are and how you see everything, how you know everything, how you've seen my entire life, and yet through that, you still love me. I don't, I don't get it, but yet you do in some amazing way. Lord, help me to see where I am not trusting, believing, and following you. Search my heart. Search the heart of the men and women that are here today. Open their eyes to the truth of areas that they are walking in danger. Let them see you as a good doctor who is examining our hearts so he can heal us and make us new use this time, Lord, that we wouldn't rush out of this time, but we'd press into this time, because there's nothing more important than dealing with sin and rebellion in our hearts, whether it is the first time where we confess you as Lord and Savior, or the hundredth time where we lay down the things in our life that we are not willing to show. Love you so much, Lord. Pray these things in your glorious and amazing name.